You are listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Salutations. Salutations. Salut. Salut. I'm just the old French now. I'm just, I'm, it sounds like mimicking I'm, like my it sounds like children. An AI, just learning <laughs> your like language from exactly what you say. Did you see? So, I mean, every day I feel like they're like, hey, I can do this now. And it's like, <laughs> we are getting closer and closer to the singularity, my friends. But I saw an article in the news yesterday or the day before, as of this recording, that chat gpt uh-huh our best friend our best friend chat gpt answered medical questions with 80 percent accuracy better than doctors did than real live doctors like wow. there's an 80 percent chance if you ask chat gpt to help you with a medical problem it will give you a better answer than a real life doctor i'm never getting medical insurance again <laughs> <laughs> not related i just wanted to say something extreme <laughs> Oh, isn't that crazy? That is very crazy. It is very, singularity jokes aside, interesting to think about how that sort of AI power will change the landscape of that sort of thing. Yeah. It reminds me, completely unrelated to what we're talking about today, and now I'm on this tangent that, (laughs) why are we talking about this? Opening banter, why not? But there was a guy I read a long time ago. He was talking about writing sermons, Mm. and he talked about writing bespoke sermons. Yeah. Like bespoke furniture, bespoke art, which Mm -hmm. is a term, and maybe you know this term better than I do, but the way I understand it, it's like like only you could do that. Like it's bespoke. Well, I would say, and maybe I've actually had this in my head wrong for a long time, but anytime I've used it, it's been like, if I got like a bespoke shoulder bag or something like that, I wanted to come up with like a physical apparel thing. And it's something that is like tailor-made, especially for my needs, desires, and purposes. That's right. Yes, that's correct. A sermon, a bespoke sermon would be especially for the congregation with them in mind yes you yeah. have nailed it nice. that was the that was the correct sweet the correct understanding <laughs> um but i think that sort of stuff will make bespoke answers and oh. bespoke presence more more valuable yes yeah so like if you're wanting a generic answer to a question okay yeah like mm-hmm. hey i can give you that mm-hmm. what it cannot give you is the specific tailor-made sermon for example yeah. like a sermon that's designed to meet a particular peculiar need mm-hmm. in the congregation or that's rooted in the circumstances and place that you find yourself in. Yeah, so exactly, that was a, yeah. a course I took a few years ago, a writing course called Writing Close to the Earth, where he was making the case very well, I thought, and very truly that the best kind of writing relies on the specific concrete details that only you would know. Like, for example, if you were writing like a poem on love, mm-hmm. Anyone can describe like the feelings of love because everyone, if you've had the experience of love, you all generally know like, oh, what that feels like. What nobody else knows is the specific experience you have loving a specific person. Hmm. Like, oh, how did you love that person? Did you give them like this specific little token? Well, that's unique. And those are the things that actually like more often than not move people. Yeah, It's that specific act. It's not like generally describing the vague feeling of love. Yeah. (laughs) Right? All that is to say, Hmm. ChatGPT will do probably a lot of good things, just like lots of tools in the past have done, even when people were freaked out by them. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, I'm actually not Again, singularity jokes aside, I'm not spooked by ChatGPT. Loki, I find all these stories very fun. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, you did this? Yeah. It's like, I'm hey, so proud of this you. This is, uh, you know, this could, if it's, it's like any tool, if it's used well, it could contribute yeah. to the flourishing of humanity and it will just 
make, for an example, writing, that means that the mediocre writers will go away and you'll have to learn how to write better if you want it to stand out and, you know, do whatever. So anyway, that tangent is over now. We are on to other things. You're doing well today, right? Yes. I am doing well today. Are you doing well today? Fine as can be. That's as far as I know. As much as, much as you can ask. Yes, that's right. I am ready for fire pit evenings. Yes. You know? Oh my word, yes. Fire pit in the backyard so and I'm ready to have some fires That's the way to of be. an evening and, you know, just enjoy that. So, but uh, what I don't enjoy is heresy. Mm. No, sir. <laughs> heresy is not enjoyable. <laughs> I was going to make a burn heretics joke, but I didn't, uh, I didn't go there. Instead, I made a coy allusion to it and you all can... <laughs> about that later. Uh, so, no, today we're looking at another delightful Christological heresy. <laughs> I said with my tug in my cheek, because there's no such thing uh, as a delightful Christological heresy. True, They're true. all awful. Yeah. But in the last two episodes of this little mini-series we're doing, we considered two heresies that, very generally speaking, held to Jesus' divinity at the expense of his humanity. Mm. So they were cool with, like, oh, yeah, he's divine and... God, mm -hmm. all this stuff, but humanity, not so much. Of taking that. on the flesh, no, ugh, I don't think so. nasty, flesh bad, <laughs> spirit good. But today, the categories are going to be flipped mm. because now we are going to consider the heresy known as Ebionism. <laughs> oh, yes. Sounds like some interesting etymology went into that term. Yes. Actually, since you've brought that up, yeah. It's not accurate, but it's fun to read the <laughs> church fathers on this because. The term Ebionism comes from the Hebrew word for poor. No. So oh my word. what happened was, and again, doesn't turn out to be accurate upon yeah. more historical reflection, but the idea was the people who held to this view initially were saying that they were just following Christ in his humility and poverty and were uh -huh. poor. And church fathers like Tertullian and Irenaeus and the guys who read them, and they're like, ah, oh, this name is well chosen for they have poor and low thoughts of Christ. And they are, uh, they, they have great poverty in their devotion. Oh, and, no. and, I mean, they just like eviscerate these guys. And uh, it's very, you know, I mean, it's almost like humorous to yeah. read in a good, like, you know, like, oh, wow, that's very zany. But anyway, that's not where the term came from. Basically, if you were an Ebionite, you believed that Jesus was just a man. Okay. He was not the divine pre-existent son who was with the father from all eternity and shared the glory of the father and the spirit. All right. So completely different take. Yeah. And the Ebionite movement basically sprang from the Judaizing movement that was so prevalent within early Christianity. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And just as a reminder, the Judaizers were the group of folks that you find Paul writing against so vehemently in Galatians, mm -hmm. especially, mm -hmm. you know, that's... <laughs> The group he famously, because they were all about circumcision, he's yeah. like, I wish you would just go all the way. That's true. <laughs> like, why like, stop? Yeah, like, what, yeah, like why, if you're going to do that, why not just keep going, brother? So, yeah, these are the ones who taught that you still have to be circumcised and hold the ceremonial aspect of the law and all that in order to be made right with God. Mm, so they're very preoccupied with the, the material embodied self rather than... The spiritual elements. Yes, precisely. And on that note then, the Ebionites believed that moral perfection hmm. was how one was made right with God, which, you know, was, I mean, again, in their eyes, it was a moral perfection that was gotten up on one's own steam, more or less. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, as one does. Or doesn't, as we would say. Um, so, so as far as their Christology goes, because that's what we're interested in, mm -hmm. the Ebionites held... And we're just going to give you a smattering here. They held that there was no virgin birth, naturally. Of course. Because he's not 
the divine son. Oh, right. That's right. <laughs> so no virgin birth. Jesus was born naturally of Mary uh, by the begetting of Joseph. So uh, for that reason, they conveniently lopped off the beginning of Matthew's gospel because, yeah. you know, it has the account of Mary and Joseph. Not, Too you know, inconvenient. It's like, well, that doesn't fit our narrative. So goodbye. <laughs> now, what's interesting about that is it doesn't mean that the Ebionites rejected the concept of Jesus as the Messiah. Uh, what? Yeah, right? Because you're not expecting that. No. It's just that in their thinking, the Messiah wasn't God come in the flesh to save his people. Mm. In their view, instead, he was, again, as the church father Tertullian put it, nothing more, humanly speaking, than a Solomon or a Jonah as far as his nature went. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, I was expecting them to equate Jesus to like just a prophet or a religious leader mm-hmm. or something at the expense of anything like messianic. Right. So the idea that they do still hold him in some regard like that does come as a surprise. Yeah. Is it just the idea that like a mortal man took on the mantle of Messiah to fulfill a role like mm-hmm. as a title rather than a spiritual reality of something more? Well, yeah. Well, it's interesting because in the Judaic concept, I think we, oh. it was really rather complicated. The use of the term Messiah. Yes. Yeah. So. So I think it is safe to say, and this is what you'll probably hear in most sermons, and you've probably even heard it at the church, because there was this general, like, widespread expectation that, like, oh, the Messiah will be this deliverer who will come to rescue us from political oppression and reestablish Israel as a flourishing theocratic kingdom. But the messianic concept was still, and I mean, to this day, is still very kind of complex, depending on who you ask, how they understand it. Because you had a group of Jews who actually, I mean... There were some who held that the Messiah, there were actually going to be two separate Messiahs. Like there was going to be a priestly Messiah and then a kingly Messiah because you couldn't mix the two offices. Oh, that's whoa. So it's like, oh, we have to have a priest Messiah and a king Messiah. Wow. So all that is to say is since they're coming out of a Judaizer movement, they could say, oh, according to his nature, there's nothing wrong with saying like he's nothing more than a Solomon or a Jonah. It's oh. just that he has a very specific mission. So the term doesn't demand a divine nature. No. Okay. And that's where Christianity is a little more unique is because, again, that's not a foreign concept to scripture. Like, nice. we're not making that out of thin air. Like, when the Messiah is discussed in the prophets, like in Isaiah and Malachi, you get very specifically God saying, I send my messenger to prepare my way. And then when I come before you, and it's like God speaking, mm-hmm. but it's a man who's appearing. So you get this weird like dichotomy, Mm -hmm. apparently. And what we, of course, understand is, oh, well, Jesus did that because he's the God man. Like, of course that makes sense. And and of course, if you're a a practicing Jew and you reject Jesus as the Messiah, (laughs) you're like, no, that can't be. (laughs) I mean, right? That makes sense. So anyway, so as far as that goes, yeah, I mean, it's not entirely surprising that the Ebionites would do that. And it was at his baptism that Jesus received that mantle of Messiahship. Okay, That was the turning point in his life at which he received not an affirmation of what he always was, which is what we think. Like, we have the father, again, you know, saying, you are my son, with you I'm well pleased. And we're going to say, oh, yeah, well, that's just an affirmation of who Jesus has always been. He's always been the divine son, beloved from eternity. But the Ebionites are going to say, oh, no, his baptism, when the father speaks... That's something new happening. It's an initiation or something. Yes, right. He has now been made the anointed son and the deliverer of God's people. Actually, interestingly, the Ebionites had something called the Gospel of the Hebrews. Oh. And they took the baptism event out of Matthew 3 and added a whole bunch of stuff to it. (laughs) As typically, you know, you can always tell kind of the, again, here's just a fun aside for all you listeners. The Gospels, like we have the miracles in the Gospels, of course. Mm -hmm. Aside from that, if you compare it to other written accounts of like gods coming to earth and things mm-hmm. like that and like pagan literature, like Roman, Nordic, yeah. all that stuff, it reads nothing. <laughs> like 
it is so bland and boring comparatively. <laughs> like I'm sure it's like I, I think we think like wow these are the gospels and the miracles. It's like yeah no this is this is not the kind of thing you would write if you were trying yeah. to make up a god figure mm. coming to the earth. You have some mythology that's almost cartoonish in nature. Right, you do, you do, yeah. and it's interesting because you can normally pretty quickly tell pseudepigraphal, which is another way of saying like <laughs> false writing. Because it it looks more like, oh, this sounds more like somebody imitating like yeah. Greek accounts of Zeus than it does the gospel authors, yeah. which is another topic for another day. But you get that here with Jesus's baptism in the Ebionites. So in other words, in their view, Jesus only received power to fulfill his mission as the Christ. And then that was it. Like mm-hmm. he received power from God. He was just a man. Boom. No preexistence, no divinity, nada. And not only that, but they believe that if another man had happened to perfectly keep the law, he would have been the Christ, not Jesus. So like there's no sense in which Jesus was the chosen, you know, like he is, no, just yeah. none of that. You'd have to make concessions like that. Right. If you don't believe he's yeah. divine. Like, oh, yeah. well, anyone could have done yeah, this Yeah, anyone could have thing. done it. Yes. <laughs> and on that note, this created a big problem for the Ebionites and a problem that like the other heresies we have and will yet consider still pops up today to pester and plague us. And uh, namely, the problem is that it totally diminished the place of faith Mm. in Jesus. They hated the Apostle Paul for this very reason. (laughs) Because, you know, he, of course, if you read any of his letters, you pretty quickly understand that he would not let go of the fact that, well, to quote his writings in Ephesians, by grace we have been saved through faith. And this is not our own doing, but it is the gift of God so that no one can boast. Yeah, pretty big detail right there. Yeah, which is what the Ebionites, yeah, like the Ebionites are like, no, I did it. And I'm going to boast about it's it. It's my gold star. <laughs> this is, this is, my, this is my, my chart with my hate coden. Yeah, that's that's well said. Actually, the Ebionites said <laughs> they didn't reject Paul for the same reason that like a lot of modern scholars do. Because they would say, oh, like Paul wasn't like a real guy or something like that. Like the Ebionites knew like, oh, yeah, Paul's a real guy. We just think he's a nasty apostate. <laughs> We don't want to have anything to do with him. So they rejected basically everything he taught. So instead, they emphasized the need to become Mm, Christ's. That is their emphasis. but different. Oh, yes. Very Very different. Very different. Same language, wrong meaning. Yes, that's exactly right. Because there is an enormous distinction between saying we must become Christ's versus... Well, something like Paul would say in 1 Corinthians where it's like, become like Christ or imitate Christ. You know, that's the difference between duplication and imitation. Also, just how arrogant do you have to be? Yeah. Like, oh, we can do that. Oh, don't worry. So Jesus came and died for nothing is what you're saying. Hold my mind skin. That is a bespoke joke. (laughs) (laughs) That is really, I mean, that is a layered joke. Yeah, that's that's like, that's scripture. There's so much. There's so much there. Um, Yes, um, because as Christians, we do believe we must imitate what we cannot duplicate. But for the Ebionites... We must simply duplicate what Christ did, and that's it. Yeah. You know, do it's they just, just think we're all totally miserable at hitting the mark since no one tends to manage this whole sinless arrangement? Yeah. It's like just that small detail. It's a small detail, right? We must just be very bad at yes. it. Well, the funny thing is, is most of these people are like, oh no, like we're you know we're getting there. <laughs> they just think they're great. Yeah. Well, that's oh. another interesting aside is. 
Again, think about the Sermon on the Mount. If you look at the Pharisees and the scribes, if you just look at the letter of the law externally, yeah, you can do that. Mm. Like, oh, I've never committed adultery. Oh, I see. I've never murdered. Yeah. When, of course, Jesus comes along and says, no, adultery, the command to not commit adultery was never merely about physically having relations with someone not your spouse like that is part of it but that begins in the heart yeah and that's a sin and so yeah if you're an ebionite and all you're considering is the letter yeah of course you could feasibly do that yeah can you can you keep your heart from ever not having inappropriate thoughts like uh well i mean Hopefully you're mortifying it more and more, but good luck ever, like, you know, on this side of eternity, completely purging that. Yeah. So naturally, the results of that kind of belief are neurotic and horrific because, <laughs> as we just said, you're either going to think you are becoming a Christ and then become an arrogant, self-righteous tyrant mm. who would be intolerable to yeah. be around, which is what the Pharisees and scribes ended up becoming yeah. as a precursor <laughs> to that, right? Or else you'll actually have the realization you're not becoming a Christ and you'll live in abject depression and fear, which is... You take a guy like Martin Luther, who wasn't an Ebionite, but like he had that idea of uh, like, oh, I need to, yeah, I need to keep the commands, I need to keep the law, which you do, but he's like, <laughs> I, I, there's no way I'm ever going to be accepted. Right. And unfortunately, many people today, though not specifically Ebionite, hold to that kind of Christology, which is again why we're talking about all this. Yeah, yeah. Even like without the name, I think you can see like you can see both the diminishment of like Christ's divinity as well as this obsession to reach like an impossible metric of. Mm-hmm. I'm not completely sure how to put this, but like righteousness through deed mm-hmm. or yeah. it's basically a salvation through works idea yeah. in, for some people. Right. None, none of that is actually super foreign to us. No. We just don't put the name on it. Right. Exactly. And in that way of thinking, Christ really is nothing more than a pattern which we must duplicate. Like that's how you look to him. Like, oh, I have to do what he did. And like, depending on what you mean by that, sure. <laughs> but if you mean by that, again, I have to duplicate him. No, you can't. Yeah, not quite. And again, Paul makes that point. He's like, if that was possible, if righteousness was attainable through the law, Christ died for no purpose. <laughs> like, why did he have to come die yeah. if you could do that? Now, again, just to make sure we're not misunderstanding here. You like that double negative? That's for the British listening. Christ certainly did not give us less than an example to follow. I mean, Peter says that Christ came and suffered that you might follow in his footsteps. But apart from faith in him as the divine son who took on humanity to suffer and die in our place, that example will not result in our ultimate salvation from sin and death because you can't duplicate him again. Right. You can imitate him. You are called to imitate him. But ultimately, the fact that you and I can be made right with God has nothing to do with our righteousness. It has to do with Christ giving us his and bearing the punishment for our sin, which is totally not a factor in the Ebionite scheme. (laughs) And there are, unfortunately, again, as you said, we don't put the name Ebionite Mm -hmm. to it, but lots of people, I think, if they're not careful, we can hold to that kind of Christology and you see examples of it around us. So don't do that. Don't be an Ebionite. Be a Christian. (laughs) Well, that's that for now. Yeah. If you found that helpful at all, you know, you want to leave us an honest five-star review. You want to do that in the flesh with your own (laughs) fingers on your own device there? You can do that. Love it. If you have any questions on this or any other heresy or topic or whatever, feel free to email us at podcast at horizonschurch.net. Yeah. Thank you as always for listening and we will catch you next time. Mm -hmm.